by Rebecca Spencer. from almost the halfway line. Welcome back to the N17 Women Pod. As usual, it's time to talk about Tottenham Hotspur women. This is Abby speaking, and I'll be your host today. Now, last time I hosted, we had to talk about an awful defeat in the North London Derby. And it's only right this time we get to talk about our biggest victory ever in the WSL. I'm here with Rachel, Caroline, and Sean. How are you all? Yeah, Feeling good. Jubilant. <laughs> nervous. Yeah. Enjoying the uh, nerves that come with supporting Spurs men as women, but you know, um, <laughs> going well so far. Yeah, that sounds about right. Sounds about right. So yeah, we did score predictions before the game last week. I know I said two one, and I think Sean and Caroline both said. 2-0 and Rachel ended up being the closest with 3-0 uh, and I think some of us were thinking that was pretty optimistic at the time. I think it's fair to say we were all pretty confident that we'd win but collectively pretty unsure where goals might come from. Uh, is that fair to say? Yep. Yeah it ended up being where didn't the goals come from. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah pretty much pretty much. All right, so let's get into it. Uh, let's let's talk lineup. Um, so it was uh, pretty familiar this time. It was again that sort of four two three one that shifts to a four four two on defense. Uh, but this time there were just a few small personnel changes. So Tini Corpella came in for Becky Spencer in goal, and Nicola Carcesca came back in as a striker, replacing. Ellie Brazil, who is out with a long-term ACL injury, unfortunately. So, yeah, to refresh your memory on exactly what that looked like, we had Esmita Ale, Shalina Zadorsky, Molly Bartrip, and Amy Turner across the back. We had Angarad James and Evelina Suminen in central midfield. Ash Neville and Celine Bissette on the wings. Drew Spence in that sort of 10-ish, second striker-ish role. And, of course, Nicola up top. And it's really starting to look like this is the way we want to play and that this is the formation Rian wants us to use. Uh, what do we all think of that? I like it. Yeah. I think with Nikki back, it works. I, it carried on working in the second half when Jess came on as a sub, and I know we're going to get to that too. But I think it is a formation that is really fits um, having that striker at the front who's being difficult for defenders, especially in the first half. And now that we've got sort of Angerad and um, Evelina relatively settled, yeah, giving Ash the freedom to do things on the wing has been fun. So, yeah, I like the fact that we do seem like we really have found what is our formation. Yeah, I think it helps to get people, you know, our, our big concern with players in the box. And if you've got a striker with three behind them, that gives you more options for people in the box than we've had when you've had a more conventional sort of line up so I think it works and when we've only really got Nikki as a striker then that works I I wonder how well it works if Nikki's not fit we did struggle when Nikki wasn't playing last week you know we did struggle trying to play that way have we got another player that can play up top in that way possibly not at this point so it might not work if Nikki's not fit but when Nikki is fit and and ready to play I think it's a great formation for us just to say also um 
apparently Becky Spencer was a little bit under the weather during the week and that's why she didn't start. So that was a, 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 was a resting Becky decision as much as anything else. That makes we'll sense. get well Becky. soon, Becky. <laughs> yeah. I hadn't heard that. But yeah, yeah, I agree. I think the the formation's working really well and it seems like everyone is finally understanding their role in the system and we're looking more like the well-drilled team that we saw last season under Rand Skinner. So I'm feeling a lot more positive about, you know, not just the style that we're playing, but also how the players are working within the system. Yeah. And I think it's worth saying, like, I think I saw glimpses of that against City, despite it being an absolute abysmal game. Like, I remember thinking that our defense did look a little bit more well-drilled and that after Nikki came on, the press up top looked better coordinated as well. Just want to mention that because it's coming off a little bit as like, oh, we won eight nothing. All our problems are solved. Uh, And I I don't think that's exactly what we're getting at here. Um, Yeah, but I really like having all those four attacking players who really who all want to get into the box, as Sean said. Um, And I think, you know, Amy Turner is growing into the role. I, I, as I've said many times before, I like having Ash and Asmita on the same side. I, it's interesting. There's a lot of a lot of good stuff to see there. So yeah, there was um, a lot of action in this game with this lineup. So we're gonna try to do it all justice without making this a two hour podcast. We'll see how it goes. I'm basically gonna run through most of what happened pretty quick while stopping to ask some questions along the way. All right, here we go. So right off the bat. Two minutes in, not even two minutes. We win a corner. It goes short to Molly. She's just in a ton of space. She looks up, absolutely launches it over the Brighton keeper's head. Just an amazing start. How are you all feeling at that point? Very happy. Actually, yeah, yeah, happy. But I had missed the first goal because I did not have my stream up yet. I thought it was on Paramount, (laughs) and it was actually on the FA player. So I had to wait to see the the replay a little bit later. You know, I was like, oh, an early goal. Perfect. Just the start we want. Um, I'd, I'd taken my nephew to the game and we'd been sat beforehand talking about predictions and his initial prediction was 6-0. And then when, nice. the, rest, when the rest of us were a bit like 2-0, mate, 1-0, um, he revised that to 3-0. But then that goal went in and um, he's, he decided that 9-0 was the likely outcome. <laughs> We did they need to get him on the pod. <laughs> As a kind of a, um, a joking kind of a, a thing, but then it almost made it to 9-0. So, yeah, I think um, when that went in, made us go, oh, okay, this could be a fun game. I mean, I think the thing that really struck me about that, and we're going to probably talk about it with the next goal as well, but both of them were the product of Nikki pressing. So it was her pushing the ball, getting, you know, she's on that girl. The reason there were two corners in the row, but the first corner was basically when she um, pressed and then ended up with the ball going kind of, and the goalkeeper dispossessed her, but in a way that meant that we had a corner. So right from the off, we saw Nikki's impact. And I think that was something that was, like I say, really important for the first two goals, but also then had this knock-on effect through the rest of the game in that she became this player that the Brighton players had to pay attention to and it made them feel much more insecure in their own half. So I think that was really important in that goal. And then there was this interesting interview with Ankarad afterwards where she said that what her and Molly did in terms of her playing the short corner to Molly was something they practiced on the training grounds. And so it Mm -hmm. was one of the it was a really kind of training grounds corner. 
And I am not a fan of short corners most of the time, but you know, if they all come off like that, I'm revising my opinion. <laughs> yeah, Nikki is really such a good presser. I think it's interesting as well that they it was the second corner. The first corner didn't work. Yeah. As one of my um, friends pointed out, the first corner didn't work. So rather than just try again, they switched people taking the corner, tried something different. Molly came up, Ang Harrod saw it. And, and again, Ang Harrod was saying post-match that what they were really looking at was how can we get the ball moving quickly? How can we keep the game rolling? How can we keep it, make that, take a speed? And she saw Molly there in space passed the ball and don't, uh, you know and Molly did what Molly doesn't do um, and she <laughs> took a shot we think it might might have been across but something like along those lines and you know keep her off her lines and perfect yeah I yeah. was surprised to hear that this was her first WSL goal I thought for sure she had gotten some sort of scrappy in the box uh goal in the past but I guess not she doesn't tend to hey. come up really Shalina does a bit Molly has some occasionally, but not as much as Shalina I think and it's interesting because she strikes the ball so well. We know that from her long balls. And so mm-hmm. like when I saw her strike that particular goal, I was like, oh, she does that. She's done that before. And then it turned out that like, no, she actually doesn't. And she hadn't. It was a good one. <laughs> All right. So yeah, moving on. Brighton kind of uh, came at us for the next 15 minutes or so. And uh, I remember thinking at the time, I was like, oh, we scored too early. I don't know. I don't know. I was obviously very wrong. Then at around the 20 minute mark, they they played it back to their keeper who kind of bobbled it up in the air. Something that sometimes happens all the time, but usually Nicola is not charging you down when that happened. And she just ran full speed at Megan Walsh, Brighton's keeper, came away with the ball and then tapped it into the open net. So uh, yeah, two early goals. Found myself wondering, and I'm curious to know what you all think. Do you think that Megan Walsh should have done better on those first two goals? Well, it's interesting. Again, talking to my nephew, my nephew and I sat watching the Brighton team warm up, actually, and he likes watching the goalkeepers. And he pointed out that Megan Walsh, when she was in goal warming up, wasn't moving. If the ball was coming to her left, she'd make a little bit of a movement, but there was no diving. If it was going to her right, she was making no movement whatsoever. And we were like, is that the first choice keeper or is that the second choice keeper? Because the other, the, the second, what turned out to be the second choice keeper when she was in goal, she looked a little bit more like she wanted to be there and she wanted to be moving. But so we kind of called that early on that we thought the keeper wasn't, you know, as, as good as they might be. And I think that proved to be the case throughout the game. You know, several of the goals were because she wasn't on her line. And was it the pass back? Was it her control? But she certainly didn't control that ball very well and opened it up for Nicola, who was charging. And you could hear Rianne in the background, if you listen to it, play back, kind of telling everybody else to get up as well. Um, but she didn't need them. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I think I think Megan Walsh will look back at that game and be disappointed with her game. I mean, I think that was almost maybe my favourite goal of the game, even though it was probably the ugliest in that it was something that without Nikki on the pitch, we wouldn't have done. It was really, that was a goal that was made by Nikki that was possible because of her. And there aren't a lot of people who are able to not just charge down, but like, I mean, she kind of just pushed the ball forward with her whole body. It wasn't beautiful, but it was so effective. And I don't know how much it is, again, players, um, goalkeepers who haven't played against somebody with that kind of physicality, although Megan Walsh is very experienced and so has played against, you know, lots of players like, you know, um, Miedemar and whatever, who have, you know, who are very strong in the box. But it did seem that she couldn't cope with Nikki, especially. Yeah, and I mean, this is exactly what we want out of Nikki. 
So I do think we have to give her some credit for her part in the goal. You know, it's not just the goalkeeper making the error, but I do think on a lot of the the goals that Walsh conceded, you know, she could have done better. And sometimes keepers just have a bad day. And I feel like as a keeper, it would be really easy for a bad day to turn into a really bad day pretty quickly. I kind of felt bad for her, honestly. Yeah, yeah. And I think that did kind of set the tone for the game. Two up inside of 20 minutes. And we didn't just sit back and try to keep a our 2 nothing lead. A little bit later, Ash Neville popped up with an absolutely brilliant volley on a corner. And if the first two goals were goalkeeping errors or, you know, gifts, this one certainly wasn't... Um, there's something definitely to be said for the advisability of leaving Ash unmarked in the box on a corner, but it was still really crowded in there. And it was just the most gorgeous hit straight into the side met- netting full of skill. And then again, 15 minutes after that, Ash pops up with this ludicrous unsighted back heel through ball to Drew Spence, who takes a few touches, makes a little space and then fires past Megan Walsh for four, nothing. So yeah. Uh, Ash Neville. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, as always, but I mean, I think the thing that was the, her confidence with her shooting this season is just, you know, going through the roof. You expect her to score with her head from corners, but to to score a goal like she did that third goal, that was like, okay, what's that? Because she was a little bit further back. Um, not the sort of thing we're used to her scoring, uh, her, her attempting even really. I don't think she, her goals are either headers or or kind of long distance or on the line bundling it kind of things. That was a really that was a real really well taken goal and um, not that she doesn't do these things well but I think the confidence she has with scoring is showing and she's taking these chances and it was just you know beautifully beautifully timed and that I mean the back heel for Drew uh, we thought Drew had taken too many touches and she was going to um, miss it but then she still scored it so that was good but yeah I mean Ash's back heel on that you know again that's kind of not something you necessarily expect from a player who you who kind of started life as a fullback and is generally considered to still be a fullback. Um, I think her, her confidence is just so high. Uh, it's great to see. And it means that she's trying all kinds of things. And we're really seeing, you know, a different kind of player coming out from just from the player that we see. As much as we love the player that we've seen in previous seasons, even more exciting this season. Yeah, I think that's sort of becoming the quintessential Ash Neville experience. Every game, she's finding some new way to surprise us and amaze us. And her volley shot was just so pure and beautiful. And then when she followed it up with making that back heel pass to Drew, I was like basically in raptures. <laughs> I couldn't believe, you know, that she was on such a hot streak and in such a short space of time. Um, but I think those were probably my two favorite goals of the game, um, Drew's especially, just because. The pass and the buildup was incredible. And then I thought she showed really good composure to make her run into the box and get her shot off really cleanly. So yeah, just well done from both of them. And two more things I loved about that goal. One was that not only, you know, was Drew in the box making space to take the shot, but we had another player, I think it was Celine, but don't quote me on that, like running up for the cutback as well. And I thought that was really positive since as we've been talking about all season, we need to get more players into the box. So I loved that. Um, And I also really loved like that Ash was able to make that back heel said to me that we had some sort of plan for 
like progressing the ball because she was able to know with confidence there was going to be somebody Mm -hmm. running into that space. And so it was really positive for Ash and Drew and like a great spell of play. And I think it said a lot about what went right for us in this game. I mean, I think what you pointed to there was actually the connection between Ash and Drew that we saw throughout the game. So okay. we'll get to it later, but Ash obviously found Drew for Drew's second goal. But even in this half, we saw Drew setting up Ash for, um, I think it was, she had two chances that Megan Walsh managed to save. So Megan Walsh did make two saves, both from Ash shots. One of them was that lob that was right into the top right corner, um, would have gone in, but she managed to save it. And there was another one in the box. And you saw Drew finding Ash for those. And so the two of them were starting to know where each other was in space. And that, Again, you know, in previous pods, I've been sometimes skeptical about where Drew was. But in this game, she was fully there. But also what you were seeing was the connection she was making with Ash in the first half and with Jess in the second half were really interesting. And that was making goals happen. And I guess just I'm not going to go into all of the raptures that you've already done about Ash. But yes, second, third, all of them. She has been just such a fantastic player this season. And like, I know, I remember specifically saying last week on the pod that none of our attackers looked like they were playing the same game. And in the Brighton game, Ash and Drew absolutely looked like they were playing the same game. They looked like they were using the same brain to play the same game. It was incredible. I loved it. So yeah, we go into halftime, 4-0 up. How are we feeling at this point? How'd that happen? (laughs) Yeah, I think, um, well, first of all, I think 2-0 up, you saw the Brighton players' heads drop. And it really felt like they lost confidence when that second goal went in. Um, given how they performed this season, I guess you can understand that. So, four nil up, we, it was great. I mean, that was well, that was more goals than we'd scored all season, I think. Uh, so that was a pretty impressive place to be. I mean, then you think, well, when you score so many in the first half, the second half is usually a lot quieter, you know. And also, we haven't played as well in the second half previously in in the seasons so excited for 4-0 but kind of preparing ourselves for a a less exciting and potentially uh, worrying second half Um, thankfully that didn't happen but I think uh, I don't think you'd be a Spurs fan if you were completely cruising at 4-0 at that point yeah I definitely was not expecting four more goals I was hoping for maybe like a couple more but as Sean says, based on our second half performances and just that people, you know, teams often take their foot off the pedal a little bit and that we have never scored more than four goals in the WSL before. So we had already reached our maximum, which was incidentally against Brighton the season before. Um, <laughs> it didn't feel like there were going to be that many more goals, even though it also didn't look like Brighton were going to come back very strongly. So, yeah, I was. I was feeling curious to see what substitutions Rianne was going to make in the second half, uh, because obviously this was a game that was ripe for some rotation um, and some, you know, man management. But I, I had a feeling that we could get at least a couple more goals just because the way we were playing, we were so dominant against Brighton. Yeah, so I know we've already mentioned the goal scorers, at least, um, as standouts for various reasons. Uh, anyone else who deserves a shout for having a great first half? I think Tinny deserves a shout for a couple of great saves. Um, yeah. Second half, she really had not a lot to do. But, you know, in that period where Brighton were coming at us early on in the game, she made a couple of good saves and claims and things. So as you expect from Tinny, great shot stopping and, and claiming of the ball as well. Yeah, yeah she, she was really that. a model of calm, wasn't she? She just... Mm-hmm. 
you know, like you say, when she collected the ball, when she um, waited, you know, just her timing as well, sometimes using time to allow things to calm down when it got a little bit busy, um, at other times rolling out faster. She really did seem very much in sort of connected to the back line. Another player, though, just I'm sorry, I know, Carol, I want to say something about Tinny, but also the other player I was thinking of well two other players Celine was you know doing a lot of work she didn't score a goal but she was she was very busy she was bringing the ball up taking on players in a way that meant that they couldn't be calm so you had Ash on one side and Celine on the other side and that was making it all the more difficult for Brighton to get any relief um, and also just, you know, we've t- I talked a little bit at the start about, I think, Angerad and Evelina in that um, defensive midfield role. But Angerad had a pretty good heart, she had a pretty good game. And she obviously did get the assist for that first um, Molly goal. I think Evelina actually officially got the assist for um, Asher's volley, but they were all part of it. Yeah, I was just going to echo again, Teeny. She had that one really great save against Turland, I think it was. I think keeping the the clean sheet at that juncture was really important and allowed us to kick on from there. So kudos to Tinny and Angerad, you know, she just kind of keeps things ticking in the midfield. And I feel like she's starting to fill that Mayeva Clemeron shaped hole that we had, which obviously has been a concern all season. So I'm just glad to see her really getting integrated into the team. Yeah, she, I just love the way she's obviously a very different player from Neva, but I love the way she like touches the ball. <laughs> that feels weird to say, but she just like is so much fun to watch. And she's so like, I don't know, she's so composed, but also feisty, which I guess is like a little bit similar to Neva, but um, still a very different player. And yeah, I, I know I said something about Celine and her lack of physicality last week. She absolutely did not have that problem against Brighton today. She was beating players. She was making it look easy. It, she was so much fun to watch. It was, she's, she's so much fun to watch her and Ash on the opposite wings are just an absolute menace. <laughs> yeah. So, um, halftime, we made two substitutions. Cho Sohyun came on for Evelina and Jess Naz came on for Nicola. I honestly felt like this game was the perfect opportunity to manage minutes. So I loved those substitutions. Uh, what did y'all think? Well, it's pretty obvious straight away that, that those were going to happen because, or at least people coming on were coming on because Jess and Cho were warming up as soon as the whistle blew <laughs> practically. Um, so we knew those people were coming in. And I think, as you say, when you're managing players coming back from injury, uh, it's really important to manage those minutes. So I think that's, you know, we had problems with Jess last week but, and, and said that that was largely due to the fact that I don't think she was ready to come back, certainly not for those many minutes. So it was a case of managing players and things. And when you're up 4-0 at halftime, there's even less worry about doing that. So it was a, I mean, it was a brilliant game in so many ways, so many reasons in, term, um, in terms of scoring goals, but giving us those opportunities I mean, we'll we'll come to Jess in the second half, no doubt. It proved a good thing for her to have 45 minutes and get some confidence as well. Yeah, I think both of them ended up having really great halves. So that was that was fantastic. Probably in both cases, the best halves they've had this season. So in the end, it was really positive for them and how what they'll have taken from it. I'm also really happy that Nikki didn't pick up any injuries so that she can hopefully start against Everton and against teams which may be 
be tougher than Brighton because I do think that maintaining Nikki's fitness and I don't think she's quite up to a full game yet is one of the crucial tasks that Rianne's going to have if we're going to do well this season. So really happy about that. All round, it made sense. Um, similarly, Evelyn has had a few knocks um, in the last few games and everything, you know, preserving her fitness so that she can keep her running up is useful. Yeah, Evelina's, I think, one of the players who's played the most minutes so far, too. So I was really happy to see her getting a rest. And I think that the way the subs slotted in so seamlessly just went to show how well prepared we were for this game. You know, the team, the whole team was executing the game plan to a T. The fact that there was no drop off with the subs was encouraging. And especially going forward, you know, we want to be able to react during games, you know, be able to make substitutions and not have a drop off in quality. So, yeah, it's just a huge positive from that. Um, it really did not impact our dominance at all. And the, and the play looked quite similar as well, which I thought was really interesting. So, yeah, we continue to dominate. And then not 10 minutes into the first half, Celine sends in a floating, looping cross and Ash powers at home with her head. Two minutes later, Ash dribbles a few defenders, makes her way to the end line, and then finds Drew Spence's feet in the box with a lovely cutback. And Drew does this awesome spin and fires home. We weren't done after that either. Uh, from the restart after that goal, we won the ball back, and then Cho played in Just Naz, who looked up, spotted Megan Walsh off her line, and chipped her. It was three goals in four minutes, and it was absolutely ruthless, given we were already 4-0 up when that happened. So I have to ask, what was it like inside the stadium at this point in the game? Well, um, my friends and I moved, because the away section was right down by the goal that we were shooting at in the first half. And so we moved to stand behind the goal in the second half, because there was plenty of space there. So we were right there. In fact, if you watch the the, the, the um, highlights, you can see us to the left of the goal there, cheering away. Um, it was pretty fun, I think, at that point. I mean, <laughs> the, the Brighton fans were, were pretty good, to be honest with you. They were taking it in good heart. Um, but yeah, it was just, uh, I, you know, every 10 minutes we were getting a goal. It was it was fun. Yeah, it was pretty full on, especially that the seventh goal. I mean, that was five touches from the restart. Jess didn't even touch the ball before she shot it. It was ridiculous. That was, you know, yeah, you changed your expectations at that point. It became really, really silly in a good way. I mean, I definitely haven't had that much fun at a football game for a very long time, if ever. It was just, yeah. I will say from the TV watching perspective, it did seem like the atmosphere at the ground was really good overall. Like even the Brighton fans can have been a pleasant experience for them, but they were, it seemed like there were Brighton fans as well as Spurs fans applauding some of the goals. So I think maybe they were just sort of appreciative of getting to see some good goals, you know, even if it wasn't their team on the day. Yeah. And I could hear the Brighton fans singing for a while, even after Mm -hmm. the seventh goal on, on the broadcast. I'm not sure if that's because the camera was just close to them or something, but yeah, it seemed I it definitely seemed from our side as well that they were taking things in good spirits. But I would say I thought that the fans were really especially good, very supportive of their team. They were I mean because it was Rainbow Laces Day, the the club was giving out flag rainbow flags with Brighton's logo on. There were the people dressed up with, you know, ridiculous amounts of Brighton stuff in a way that perhaps you don't get at 
all women's games or all games. And there was a generally a supportive atmosphere for their team. You didn't see lots of people leaving. And there was that flurry. We'll probably maybe get to it. It wasn't, didn't last that long. But after the seventh goal and before the eighth goal, there was a little flurry where it felt like Brighton were trying to at least get a goal and their supporters were supporting them in trying to do that. So, yeah. Yeah. So any any other takeaways from those three quick fire goals? I think just not just with those three goals, but all the goals that we scored overall. I was heartened to see that we were scoring a variety of goals because we had a couple that came from set pieces, you know, some from open play, some that were just, you know, like you said, kind of opportunistic goals as well. That's, that's an encouraging sign because it means that when we're facing different situations and games, we're going to be more nimble and able to react to the defensive challenges ahead of us. So. Yeah, I guess it's worth highlighting, you know, we don't score a lot of headers. It was great to see Ash scoring a header. Um, That one's a relative rarity for us. Also, we haven't always been super positive about Cho and especially her passing. And she made some really good pass. You know, she made a really good pass for Jess to score that goal. So again, worth giving a shout out to her. Yeah, Mm -hmm. she's really, really growing on me. I didn't know what she did until this year, I feel like. And now every time I see her play, I'm like, yeah. Show. <laughs> all right so almost done here uh we didn't take the foot off the gas at seven nothing we just kept going uh there were a few moments we could have had an eighth but it finally came from Jess Naz after she powered through the box for for a scrappy finish I thought she was phenomenal in the second half and it wasn't only her two goals she also at this moment when we were seven seven zero up when she hustled back to cover a Brighton player dribbling into a dangerous area and then just sort of cynically brought her down to stop their attack and got a yellow card. It was pretty incredible because we were seven nothing up and you don't know we see that defensive commitment when when we're not seven nothing up. And we were pretty down on her last week. So uh, for like, you know, for she didn't seem ready, as we said, but I just wanted to discuss her performance. Well, I think we know she's a confidence player. Um and, you know, she came on and got a goal. The team were doing well. And, you know, the confidence is flying high. I, I, I've said a lot, I think, that Jess Naz is one of those players. If she's, she kind of has a bit of a Jekyll and Hyde thing going on. There are times when she's not the player that, that we know and love. Often feels like she's coming back from injury and she's being a bit cautious. But when she really does commit to a game, when she really goes in for those tackles, when she starts running with the ball and um, playing those balls and just taking shots, that's when we see what everybody's been talking about for years about Jess and the potential that she has. Great to see after not a great performance the week before, coming back and just picking up and and hopefully giving herself lots and lots of confidence going into the next game because that's when she plays well. You know, people talk about Bunny Shaw being a confidence player. Well, I think Jess Naz is as much a confidence player. And if she's playing with confidence, then she'll be taking those shots, she'll be scoring those goals, and she will be making those challenges and just doing a lot of running. We saw against Everton last year, she was the one that scored a fantastic goal to give us the three points in that one. You know, just hoping and praying that that is the Jess Naz that sticks around and she stays injury-free because that can affect her performance as well. I think she was, I mean, she was really great this game. I think that some of the things we said about her last week may still be true, but this game was different. So last week we were talking about, she's not a player who likes a crowded box. And if you 
her this game she did score one goal from the box but it was still like a you know it was still a belter it wasn't a kind of tap in it was mm-hmm. she still it, you know there was still space for her to get that shot away and I think that and her first one was even more so so I think that she's because of that I think she's a really good player especially as a second half substitute when players are a bit tireder and you're more likely to have space to run into and to run into in the box and to get those goals so I think it's brilliant that she's got confidence I think she had a really great game I still think there may be some parts of her game that don't always suit playing particular teams if they're going to press us harder if there's going to be less space in the box you know and and the solution to that is using her and Nikki in the way that we did this time where Nikki kind of takes up a lot of energy and gets them flustered in the first half and Jess comes in and exploits their speed in the second half that worked yeah I think that's fair she she's someone who just needs to be able to play to her strengths I've always seen her as a very intelligent player And I think her first goal was a great example of that, you know, just having the awareness, like you said, to not even take a a touch before getting that shot off. Um, I don't think any, just any player could do that. Um, But it's also, you know, her, her smarts when it comes to knowing which runs to make and her timing is usually pretty impeccable. Sometimes other aspects of her game are not as strong and we know that, but I thought she deserved a lot of credit for coming in as a substitute and scoring that brace, you know, making a big impact off the bench. Cause you know, this, this season, we know that we've already had injury concerns early. It's still going to be something the team has to be mindful of throughout the season and be able to be flexible. So maybe a player is not getting a start every week, but if she can make the impact off the bench, that's going to be just as important. But yeah, I was I was really happy to see that from her. And I think, again, Cho deserves a lot of credit, too, for having that brace of assists. Yeah, absolutely. So um, action packs game, a lot going on. Let's let's get into some talking points here. So what went wrong for for Brighton there? I think, as I say, it was just uh, I think they've had a difficult start to the season. They they played some really big teams and not had great results and they did quite well against Chelsea, but still couldn't get the win. And I think I've, you know, we ha- we saw that problem a few seasons ago where you just have an early run in where you're just playing and losing that affects your confidence. And I think when the second goal went in, they just were like, here we go again, kind of thing. And when you, when you're playing with that kind of self doubt, it can affect you. And obviously Spurs were playing out of their skins, you know, best they've played this season in the way they were scoring. And if you're Brighton, you've probably come into the game thinking, well, this is one we can get something out of. This is one we can win. And then you're two nil down within 20 minutes and your heads drop and you can't, you know, you, you start to doubt. Particularly, I think, if, you, if you're if you kind of saying, if you're looking at other players going, they should have done better, um, it starts to make you doubt your team and things. So I think just the result of a really difficult start to the season for them. And they have had problems transfer market-wise you know, they've lost some of their best players. They haven't brought in enough to replace them. And there have been rumours about Hope Powell being unhappy over the summer and things like that. So there's a whole lot of stuff that's been going on there. Yeah, I think as Sean said, we did even in our preseason predictions talk about how Brighton had been hollowed out a little bit this um, summer and that they may do less well than they had previously. So in some ways, especially given the really tough start a soft schedule for the start of the season they probably lack some confidence um and they had some of them were relatively young players in the team who 
maybe didn't you know weren't organized to bounce back from something that was quite a quite a disastrous start of the game really yeah and I just kind of get the impression that things have gone a bit stale at Brighton you know they really could use an injection of some fresh talent and I mean we're going to talk about Hope Powell but you know maybe they might be looking at some some new formations or new strategies pretty soon out of necessity so we'll see yeah, so as Caroline mentioned, uh, that game actually led to the, their manager, Hope Powell, um, stepping down after the game, which is, you know, she's been there for quite a while and I think brought them up from, you know, the lower levels. Uh, so in, in a way, it is kind of a shame uh, to see her go, but but it really did seem like things had gone stale and either that she wasn't backed in the summer or maybe she was and these were just the players she wanted and it didn't come off. But yeah, I just wanted to take a minute to talk about her, her stacking because it kind of is like a, a momentous occasion when a coach who's been there for, for that long takes a, a step down. Yeah, I think she was had the third longest tenure in the mm-hmm. WSL, but also she's iconic. I mean, she is the England manager that I remember watching when we were starting to see more of the English national team on the TV in championships. So, and, you know, she was the first black coach. She is really important figure in the game. And so she really widens the range of possibilities in terms of who could be involved, not just as a player, but behind the scenes in the game. And she's been very outspoken about being about LGBTQ issues, about race in the game, about racism, and has just been an amazing advocate for the diversity that we'd want to see in the women's game. So I think losing her as, I don't, hopefully she's not leaving the game. She's going to have another role somewhere. Um, but I think she did a lot to produce the Brighton club that is a really positive club that does treat the women's game well. And I think as a club, they mostly have done that despite not fully backing her perhaps on the transfer market. So, you know, I have, I was sad to see her go. I don't have any, you know, special feelings about Brighton as a team, but just as a person and part of the women's game, it did feel like a sort of a moment. You can see from the response from her players, you know, that wrote really strong messages in support of her and just remarking on how much of an impact she's had on their careers. You know, she's, she's someone who is a big figure in the world of women's football. And I think across the punditry as well, people were kind of surprised to see her make this decision to step down. Nobody seems to have any doubt that she's going to, you know, still be involved in football whether that's in a coaching capacity, possibly a director of football role, we'll see. But it, it is kind of surprising that Brighton didn't back her more fully in the summer with transfers because they have invested in the club in the sense that they have this new training center for the women's team. And, you know, they clearly have some ambition, but I guess they just weren't able to get in the players that that were needed. And yeah, it, Brighton's interesting, right? Because I think on the men's side they are very obviously one of those teams who like really like their profitability is in being mid-table and like making smart deals and then like selling the players at a profit Mm -hmm. and they don't want to be in the top four they don't want to spend the money that it would take and I just wonder whether there's like a similar thing going on on the women's side where they like they want to be a mid-table team like not the players obviously and not the coach but like the management the business people are like this is what is a profitable Mm -hmm. side we're gonna build Brighton into a profitable side and no more and that's obviously not compatible with such a 
storied and legendary coach. Yeah. Well, yeah. now they're at risk of falling into the relegation battle. So we'll see how that they works out for them. <laughs> exactly. Well, that's why, like, I mean, yeah, I don't know. Who knows what was going on behind the scenes? But like, yeah, they, they certainly do not want to be relegated, I'm sure. I mean, one thing about Brighton is that they are a relatively recent Premier League club. And so they don't right. fit the sort of stereotype of a traditional Premier League club that has the expectations that they're always going to be there. And when they were founded, they had, for example, very um, large number of and um, sort of LGBTQ supporters. They were very, um, they were a very... Um, open and sort of welcoming club to all different kinds of fans and they did that when they were in lower leagues and so I think they've retained some of that as they've gone up and their commitment to the women's game has seemed to also stem from that so it may not be just about you know achieving yeah it may not be about top four status it may not be about necessarily um achieving trophies all the time in the WSL I'm sure every club would like to but I don't but they have had a very different sort of starting point and that's partly because they were lower league much more recently than most of the clubs we're talking about mm-hmm. yeah that's a good point that's a really good point I mean this is all to say like I think you'll hear some takes out there in the you know on Twitter and in popular women's soccer media saying that this game was more like stuff that went wrong for Brighton rather than stuff that went right for us. But we know that's not the case. And we we've already talked a lot about the stuff that, that went right out there. Is there anything else we haven't covered though, that we did well and that we are happy about? Well, I guess just to follow on from previous podcasts where we have complained about our set piece defending we did not concede a set piece there were a few they didn't have that many set pieces because they did not have that much of the ball but there were a few corners they were defended quite competently with there wasn't sort of chaos in the goal mouth it wasn't edge of the seat stuff there was a couple of shots that were blocked within the area but literally a couple if that speaks to more coherence and cohesion amongst our defensive line and people knowing what to do during set pieces that's a good thing yeah I think my biggest takeaway is just that we had a complete performance I mean in the sense that the entire you know lineup was playing to their best ability but also that we were able to put together two equally strong halves you know, it wasn't a case of like the strong first half and then the drop off in the second that we've been seeing. Um, that's the biggest encouraging sign for me from this game that, you know, the entire squad was just on it. They were executing the game plan to perfection. And, you know, even with the substitutes coming in, we didn't see any sort of hitch in the game plan at that point. It just continued on smoothly. So that was super encouraging. Yeah, no, that's totally your spot on there, Caroline. And I think it kind of draws on what we were saying at the end of the last pod when we were trying to find what were the positives from the game against Manchester City. And it partly was that we didn't drop off. In this game, mm-hmm. we moved on from not dropping off to not dropping off and also playing well throughout. So <laughs> just that little step upwards. Oh, yeah. No, and we did play quite well. It, we really just overwhelmed them. It was like we we were winning first balls and like, we were also winning second balls and we were passing and moving quickly. Like everything just seemed mm-hmm. like it was happening like a half a second faster. And that had nothing to do with Brighton falling apart. We were like that from the absolute first minute of the game. And we maintained it all the way until the absolute last minute of the game. Yeah, and so I, I think, think that's a, a good point about 
the speed of play, because that's something Angrad talked about in her post game, was that we were able to play at the pace that we wanted and dictate the game more than we have in the previous games this season. Yeah, absolutely. Because like you don't get that many teams who are just going to roll over like that. But we've had, we've faced plenty of poor quality opposition in the last year that we have not taken the game to. And I think that's a big step in the right direction for us. Like you can talk all day about how like, oh, hard to take much away from this. And maybe that's true. But I think that there are some very real positives we can take here. And some of those uh, were the substitute appearances we got to see in the closing stages of the game. So, well, the one big one that we have to talk about is we got mm-hmm. our first look at, at, at Gracie Pierce. I I thought that she played quite well. She sort of like shifted over and was playing the Amy Turner right back role. What did you guys think? Yeah, she she did impress me. I thought for someone so young and it being her first appearance, she just seemed really comfortable on the pitch and really in tune with her teammates as well. And I think sometimes when you get, you know, a debut player, they can seem a little isolated out there and like they're just playing their own game and not really working as part of the team. But yeah, she seemed like she really knew what her role was in the system, just like everybody else on the pitch did that day. So I I love to see that from her. Did see, you know, at right back, she did a couple of things. She, in defense, we saw her making a block, which was important. But a lot of what we saw from her was actually going forward and she seemed Mm -hmm. to have really good ball control. She brought the ball down a couple of times and she was passing in sort of triangles with both Drew and Roz, I think, on the right hand side, you know, and yeah, she looked bright. And I think she had put in a cross as well that was Mm -hmm. decent, wasn't perfect, but I definitely there was enough there to not worry if she would have to come on in the future. Yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. And I think another positive I saw from her is like, yeah, so she was getting up. She was getting way up. I was like, it was really the like an an experience that I usually only have when watching like Cootie Romero (laughs) being like, what are you doing (laughs) up there? Um, But she was also for, especially for a young player having her first WSL cap she was running right back into position like she was not hesitating or having to be told where to go she like knew exactly where she needed to be at all times but could you imagine a better time to come on for your first minutes than seven nil up like no this is just a perfect moment isn't it like she also had a much longer uh, debut appearance than than most of our young players get to do so that was kind of nice to get to see her in a more extended you know time (laughs) Yeah, that's true. It wasn't just some like stoppage time. Yeah, um, garbage out. time like, as I think of it. We <laughs> got a whole like 25 minutes, which is really great and yeah. really promising for I feel like going forward. We, we saw enough from her that if she plays in one of the cup games coming up against one of the championship sides, we're not going to be panicking, you know, like we'll feel like she can do the job. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And so, yeah, we had a couple other... Um, second half substitutions that we should talk about. Um, we got to see Chioma Ubogagu again. Um, she came in for Ash at the um, 63rd minute. How did you guys think she did? I mean, she looked bright. I feel like she's just getting right back to where she left off, uh, which to be fair was, you know, we still wanted to see more from her last season, but I think she's, she's in a good position to, to contribute this year. 
it's funny isn't it because so many of our substitutes made such a big impression that just kind of coming on and doing fine is pretty much where she was and so I didn't get bowled over by her she made some decent runs there was a couple of times she also lost the ball she you know she was combining quite well with Jess I think yeah she looked it was a fine performance there wasn't something stand out in it when she came on it was kind of that lull before the whole 20 minutes when we didn't score <laughs> yeah that's true I mean I think like yeah she had some good runs I think like I remember there being like one really nice bit where she was offside um a long ball over the top so that's obviously like probably a timing thing that as she becomes more comfortable and more used to playing again will improve I I think I feel similarly like I thought I remember like seeing her a few times and being like yeah that was nice all right whereas and maybe this was just like who I was paying attention to Rosella Ian came back from injury and appeared um you know at the same time that that Gracie did around the 70th minute I don't remember noticing her at all, but I'm really glad she got a run out. Um, oh, really? Did, did you guys I feel like she had some more? good moments. Oh, great. That's good to <laughs> hear. You know she... That's really good to hear. I think I was well, just I, like, really focused that... on Gracie. Yeah. <laughs> so I just thought the funniest thing was that the entire, the last thing of the entire game was Ross missing a shot. Was which, it? <laughs> which was like, and I can't remember, I, sh- I should have written it down. The commentator said something which was just, I mean, you know, bless and everything, but you know, Roz missing a shot when everybody is scoring kind of was Roz. Um, yeah. Well, in her defense, she did only get 20 minutes, whereas like, you know, everyone else got it, like, at least 45 to get their two goals in. But... Exactly. <laughs> yeah. No, fair, she, was, you know, she was combining. I think Caroline, you know, Caroline was hinting at, like I said, she was making, there were some triangles and things going on down she, the right hand side. The thing with Roz is that I, I think she always is, <laughs> she makes good decisions with her passes. Um, you know, we, we do wish the shooting could be a little more accurate sometimes, but yeah, I, I was just mostly glad to see that not only was she back from injury, but she doesn't seem to be, um, suffering any ill effects. You know, she, she seemed really, um, in tune with the game, not holding anything back, not being a little timid, you know, going into challenges or anything. So, yeah. Yeah, I think so. Um, good to have a little more attacking depth out there. And again, mm-hmm. this is like the fourth time I've said this, but great to have a game where we can give some of those players coming back from injury a run out. I was going to say, we should also note that although she didn't make an appearance, Karis Harrop was back on the bench oh, good point. Uh, for the first time this season. So really hoping to see her back in action soon. I think she's you know been missed quite a bit, um, but it's good that we didn't have to risk her you know, too early. Yeah, definitely. And even like having her there on the bench, as you said, huge positive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So to finish off our game discussion segment, uh, it's not every day you put eight past the team. So I just wanted to indulge a little bit. Uh, what was your favorite goal of the day? I, I still have to go with the Ash back heel to Drew goal. It was just flawless, you know, and the, that's the kind of goal from open play that we want to see more of from the team. I think I have three different answers, so I'm totally (laughs) cheating. On the day, it was Nicola's because it was the most needed. It was the one that settled us. And it was that goal, like I said before, that nobody was scoring before. It was just that. It was what I've been wanting us to have is a striker who just 
forces the ball into the net somehow come hell or high water. And I love Nikki for that. I just, I'm so happy for that. Um, and so that was the game, the goal that I think on the day watching it made me the happiest. It was when I really thought we were going to win. Watching back, seeing it on, you know, seeing all the beauty of them. There is, I think, Asher's volley is absolutely beautiful. The one that makes me laugh the most is Jess's. Like that five touches from the kick of that is just so ridiculous and I don't think we're ever going to see a goal like that and so that one is the most ridiculous stupid goal yeah that was also my favorite there are definitely a couple other front runners like the ash back heel the drew finish and ash's volley but for me it was that goal it was just so rude I I loved it (laughs) it was so rude um and I just like I love that attitude I want more of it like I mm-hmm. always say, like I even earlier when I was like, oh yeah, like I really like watching Cho every time she plays. It's because she's like she pushes people around and she's aggressive. And this is like the attitude version of that. It's like I like mean and rude players, and so I loved that goal. It was like it was so great. <laughs> it was just absolutely so great. All right, so it's time to um, turn the vibes down a little bit and talk about something less great than our win at Brighton. So we always talk about how great Ash is. Every other pod, it sounds like we're saying she should be called up for England. And yeah, the the lineup came out and lo and behold, uh, there was no Ash this time either. No Ash for England. To start off, one of our listeners sent in a pretty evergreen question here. How overdue is the inevitable national call-up for our Ash? Well, maybe it's not inevitable. Um, <laughs> that's the don't sad say thing. That. Well, <laughs> I just, don't. I don't know. I'm becoming very cynical about it. I think Serena Vigman is just very set on her team. And I mean, if you think back to the Euros, she barely tinkered with the lineup at all you know, even with her subs. So I don't, it kind of makes sense that she doesn't even want to bring in other players to be in the mix. I, I was disappointed though, to see that she wasn't on the list because it's, it's getting to the point where you kind of feel like what more could she be doing to prove that she deserves it? I it's, it's kind of baffling. Yeah. I mean, in her, I mean, I guess the thing that is really noticeable is in previous times when there's been squad announcements, we've been saying Ash needs to be called up. We've been saying she obviously should be there, but that hasn't been a general feeling. What was noticeable this time is it was being discussed on lots of women's football media, mm-hmm. in articles, on you know, on TV when we, they were talking about Spurs. So she was getting that airtime and the possibility of her being in the England team was something that was all of a sudden widely discussed. And that meant that for once, Serena Wiegmann had to say why she wasn't. So we now have Serena Wiegmann's reasoning, which is, as she said, at the moment, she's doing a good job at Tottenham. I just think at this moment, other players are better. I mean, I think we can all listen to that and just say, yeah, but no. Yeah, but no. (laughs) You might say that there are other players who play differently that fit your style better. You might say that you're not going to call up anyone who hasn't already got England experience unless they're in the you know youth bracket. But the fact that she called up a Brighton player who literally played in the game on Sunday against Ash and who did not, you know, who hardly had any touches, I think got one shot away and did not score. Obviously, it's a team game. It's not just an individual. It's There are lots of things going on. 
but you just look at whichever position Ash is playing in, whether we're talking about her playing on the wing or we're playing at um, fullback or wingback and her stats this season, but also just, you know, the, the evidence of your eyes when you're watching her play, she is clearly playing at a level of at least the other players in the England setup um, and higher level than some of them. And so yeah. not calling her up, not giving her that chance is a choice that Serena's making for whatever reason, but it doesn't see, it isn't really based on how she's playing at the moment. It's direct, but it's not the full story. And then that seems like somewhat dishonest, but yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting. not to like pick on Katie Robinson, but you know, we're talking about this game where she, she did not have an impact and you can look back at some of our poor results this season and you can say that Ash at least had an impact. You know, she was a standout player for Spurs in those games. And, you know, something that Sean always says, which I'll bring up since she had to pop out for a moment, Serena should at least bring her into a training camp to get a look at her, to see how she would work out in the England system, give her a chance to prove herself in that situation, in that environment. I, I just think it's her, her answer to the media about why she didn't select her just seemed kind of evasive to me because I wasn't really getting to the truth of, you know, why she didn't pick her, I felt like. Yeah, so there's the been a couple other reasons floating around for not calling up Ash. So um, I was wondering if there are any of those that you would like to verbally address. So I've seen people talk, and people who I respect as women's football journalists are talking about the the Ash's statistics, which I just want to highlight are ridiculous. So she mm-hmm. is top of the lead in ta- of the WSL in tackling and inter- interceptions blocks. She is in the top 10 of uh, goals scored and assists. She Her progressive passing is impressive. Like she, her last season, she was like in the top 10 for nutmegs. She's also, you know, often, she's just, it's a really fully rounded game. But the one statistic where she does slightly less well is on um, pass completion. I've heard people say that what the problem is, is that Serena plays a possession game and Ash is not going to fit into that because of she's got lower pass completion rates than other players. And I guess pass completion involves both somebody passing and somebody receiving it, the ball. And when you're playing for Tottenham, a side that is, you know, objectively less good than some of the other sides in the league for which people whom she is competing for places in England play for, then you are likely to be making more difficult passes. You are less likely to have people who are as well positioned. You are going to lose the ball more often. And even if you, and she is also a player who wants to make things happen. So she is not a player who is likely when she's playing for Spurs because there is not somebody else doing that to just kind of sit back. She's going to be pushing forward and trying to progress the ball, trying to find people in space. And that kind of creativity, which is why she gets the assist, which is why she makes things happen, which is why we love watching her, again, means that you're more li- you're less likely to have high pass completion rates than other people playing in your positions, especially people playing in your positions at bigger teams where there are more people who are able to make things happen, who are you know playing with players who are better positioned to receive the ball. And so I just, I just find it very frustrating that given all of her strengths, there is this obsession with finding the place where she has a chink in her armor and 
saying that's the reason why she can't play for England. Yeah, and it's like on that note, it's like, okay, suppose for a minute we accept that Ash is a mediocre passer. It's like she brings so much else to the table, first of all, like top like 97 to 99 percentile and nearly every other metric. And I'll say this for Sean because she did step out and she's always the one to say this. So this time it's gonna be me. Every time you put her in a new a new environment that's a step above, she always levels up no matter what. And yeah. also she plays in different positions. So that's one of the reasons why her statistics are really weird because mm-hmm. quite honestly, over the last year, she's played half a dozen games in uh, wing. So her, she's not going to have exactly the same statistics as someone at fullback. Yeah. Well, and just to piggyback off of that, her versatility, I think, is something that's actually working against her when it comes to getting the England call up. Because, you know, like I said earlier, Serena is someone, a manager who really likes to stick to her previous methods that she's she knows are going to work. And she doesn't like to do a lot of tinkering when it comes to, you know, players in other positions. Like we've seen Rachel Daly um, continue to be used in defense, even though we know she is a star striker by anyone else's measure. Um, So I think that's, that is one of the reasons that perhaps she's reluctant to give Ash a look in because she doesn't know where best to use her or, you know, where she's been playing this season Um, in the attack she has a lot more competition in the England squad than if she were to be used in defense but again this is a situation where take her to a training camp try her out in a few different positions let see how she works with those other players that are you know already in the squad and then go from there but she's not even being given that opportunity so that's what hurts Uh, and I think one more thing I meant to add before is like like Rianne to me is very obviously a manager who will play her, her players like to their strengths and hide their weaknesses. We see this mm-hmm. all across their, the fields. Like she protects Molly and Shalina from doing the parts of center back that they're not so great at. She, you know, I remember against Everton, like, and actually we've seen it a lot this year. Like she'll play, a striking duo of a player who has really good passing with a player who's really fast so that they can kind of like play off of each other and have the good passer hitting this faster player, but like, uh, like behind the defensive line, we see this all over the field. If you look at all our players stats, they're like usually either high in dribbling and low in passing or like high in passing and low in dribbling. Like I can't remember who else it was I was looking at, but someone else has like absurdly low dribbling numbers and absurdly high passing numbers. It might be Evelina. Um, but yeah, so it's like Rianne is not going to be the manager who asks Ash to push her passing. Like she's she has other players who can do that. She wants everyone to play their role. And I bet you if you put ash in a team where she was being asked to pass she'd improve it and the fact of the matter is is like we do have a manager who just really really plays people to their strengths and i think that makes our stats look weird especially since there's not as much data on women's football mm-hmm. but i think what you're saying there is really true as well in terms of what we've heard from rianne and what we hear from other members of the team about ash which is that she works really hard and she mm-hmm. takes instruction and she learns and improves and that is the kind of player who and that's why she's so adaptable that's why she has grown with the team and it's just consistently our best performing player and she was our best player when we had a disastrous game against Arsenal and there are Arsenal fans 
fans who are saying that Ash should play for England because she stood out so much when our mm-hmm. team was so bad and she was still doing like putting the work in uh, you know and it's just that consistency yeah. of effort and skills across the pitch is I don't know it's really so rare. everyone can see yeah. it but Serena basically last year she was in the voting for WSL player of the season and she's gotten better since then so it's like how is how is she not anyway um you know more positive to us stubbornness Caroline and I because Caroline and I are are you know American and (laughs) don't want England to be good so you know like the good thing is she's not gonna she, get in, injured exactly. on a England camp. Yeah. you know we had that disaster with Rhea I'm really you know okay. I would love yeah. Ash to play for England because I know that she wants to and I think she's good enough and I want the world to see her and I want her to get all the sponsorship deals that you get for playing for England right but hey let's just make sure that she becomes a massive celebrity um amongst Spurs fans instead and so she still gets those deals I think she already is. She already is. She already is. She already, so she put out a a tweet uh, in response to all the, the anger and confusion at her not being called up. It was really lovely. She said, just want to say a massive thank you to everyone for your messages and support. Of course, it's everyone's dream to play for their country, but my focus is to be at my best for Tottenham. And if the call up comes, then great. We keep moving. Coys. And like, (laughs) Well said. Isn't that just the most Ash thing you've ever heard? I just yeah. love her. She's love her. she's gonna use this as fuel for her for her game at Spurs. Don't she worry. Absolutely is. So on that yeah. note, let's end on a let's end the Ash section with a happy question. Um, we had a listener question from Ryan this week. Where would we finish in the WSL with a team of eleven Ash Neville clones? You know, my answer to this is that. We have to keep it fair for the other teams and that just wouldn't be fair, you know? <laughs> oh my gosh. It would be wild. I think, I think it would be, I want to like her. serious answer. We know that she can play almost any position. The only one she's kind of really untested at is goalkeeper. So it would be fun from that perspective uh, to get to see her in goal. <laughs> I think, yeah. I think the defensive midfield is like the where cause that's where it is all about kind of quite calm sitting back passing and I think that would probably suit her less well I think Mm. I actually think I said before I think she just has like she has the agility that would mean that she would enjoy being a goalkeeper at least sometimes but I think defensive midfield probably least suits where she is yeah I think it's interesting I think you could like foresee a world in which like okay so like a really strong passer like Neva would have had to be next to her in order for her to work in defensive midfields. And, you know, if it was just two Ash Nevilles next to each other, that sure would be a, a really interesting. <laughs> it's such an absurd question, but it's, it's fun I at love the same it. time. No, I, <laughs> made, I, mean, I remember Dustin at Cartilage Free Captain did this for um, for a team of 11 Harry Canes a couple years ago on Football oh, Manager, yeah. and it won the league, the team. So I think, like, uh, if you think – if you think um, – We'll have to ask him for more details on that. But if you think Ash is as important to Spurs women as Harry Kane is to Spurs men, I think you have to put that team up there. I have concerns about Ash and goal. I don't know why. I just, I just, I just have concerns. But I think, I think that team would go out there and win every game like five four. I think <laughs> it would be amazing. It would Maybe. definitely score. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. So let's turn away from ourselves for a moment. Um, so elsewhere in the WSL, Arsenal 
beat West Ham 3-1 after uh, West Ham opened pretty strongly and took the lead first, but couldn't hold it together. Chelsea defeated Austin Villa 3-1. Reading came back to beat Leicester 2-1 in a, in a relegation six-pointer, which is a huge result. Everton fell 3-0 to Manchester United, and Man City de- defeated Liverpool 2-1. Um, so, was there anything noteworthy about those games for y'all? Some of the I saw the highlights, especially in a little bit longer bit of the Chelsea game, and I just it reminded me how good Lauren James is. We when we played Chelsea in preseason, she looked really good. She scored then, and she looked good. So that's just I guess one to worry about in a couple of weeks when we come to play them again. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, the only one that I got to catch was the West Ham Arsenal and. I, I do think they were possibly cheated out of a goal, West Ham. But we saw once again that Arsenal, you know, their keeper, Manuela Zensberger, she is vulnerable um, when it comes to receiving a back pass. Um, that was how West Ham ended up getting their goal. You know, we've got Nikki now, so she better watch out. That's all I've got to say next time we play them. <laughs> That's it. We really missed Nikki in that game. I think yeah, she we did. would have caused her some problems. Yeah, Agreed. absolutely. So, as we said, Everton are coming off a 3-0 loss to Manchester United, but they've looked pretty good in other games. How are we all feeling about that? Yeah, it's, I think this is this is a, the start of a run-in, I think, that's really important to us in terms of the teams that are going to be going toe-to-toe with us for that fifth-place spot. Everton, you know, they, they've had a bad start the season, but since then they've been doing really well, and obviously Man United are... The, the team beat this season so no surprise they lost there really I think it's a really important game for us uh, obviously the Brighton game is great preparation for that but we need to now employ that in a game where the, the other side are competitive with us yeah looking forward to the game and seeing where I think this is the first game where we're really going to measure where we're at in terms of those pre-season predictions yeah I agree with that and one just little tidbit I heard Ash on a, another podcast talking about preparing for this game and she said that Spurs had played Everton in pre-season which was not something I knew about so they do seem to know the team a little bit and that means I guess there's going to be some of the preparations are going to be quite tailored to what they experienced in that pre-season. Yeah I, I just think that our defense is actually going to be pretty crucial in this game because Everton have managed to score and I think all but two of their matches so far this season all comps. Um, and we know they have some some good attacking power this season, especially with Jess Park being on loan, um, Queros, who I think is on loan from um, Arsenal, maybe. So we're going to need the defense to put in another really strong performance. And I think with with the Brighton game, you know, even when we were in this blowout win situation, we still saw a really good commitment from the entire team to keep that clean sheet. So that's my biggest goal for this game is to see that same commitment on the defensive end. Well, Molly Bartrip was, I saw something with Molly Bartrip on social media talking about, you know, how important defending is and how important getting a clean sheet is and and that being what they all strive for and what the defense celebrates, you know, they, they, they aim for that and they celebrate getting that in the same way that they celebrate getting goals. So that's, you know, that's great. And there is a commitment there from, from our defense to do that. Yeah, it's um it's interesting. I I was looking at our defending numbers as a team because um FBRF now does have XG numbers that you can go look at. 
and we actually have a really good defense for the league by those numbers. And I think part of that is just like, we've made silly mistakes, which hopefully we're seeing like less and less of every game, though it was like hard to tell against city because of just the sheer power of their attackers. And other than that, we seem to have pretty similar numbers to Everton in both attack and defense. So I think it's going to be a really interesting game. Um, And I will say within 10 games, I think it was XG is not the best number to look at. It's actually more predictive to look at actual goal difference in the early stages because the sample size isn't big enough. Um, And going off goal difference is similar. So it should be a really close and really interesting game. Um, So I know we mentioned Jess Park and uh, Kieros. So who else on Everton are you all going to be watching out for? Well, they also have uh, Hannah Benison, you know, the Swedish international. And I, I've only gotten to see one of Everton's games in full this season, but I remember her linking up really well with the forward line of Park and Queros um, in that, I think it was the Liverpool match that I saw. So yeah, she, she's another one to keep an eye on. Yeah, it's going to be interesting because I feel like a lot of the players Everton had that I knew of and thought were really good have left now. Um, but also like, they were clearly having issues and they got in some other good new players. So that'll be, it'll be like a good clean slate for me. Yeah. So next up, I wanted to get into one of our listener questions. Uh, We had a question about the fixture scheduling for the Everton match. Nick says great performance and win today. Disappointed with fixture scheduling again, with it pretty much impossible for those who have women's and men's team season tickets to attend both next Sunday. Discuss. <laughs> well, yes, as as one of those people, I have sold my ticket for the Liverpool game uh, on the ticket exchange. Um, I know some people are maybe thinking about coming to the first half of the women's game and then going on to the Liverpool game. Uh, it does seem ridiculous that the women's game couldn't have been moved forward an hour if they'd announced that at the same time they'd announced the TV changes, it wouldn't have had a negative impact on the travelling fans. Uh, and it would have meant that we could have all got to both games if we wanted to. I really think the club needs to be looking more, um, more carefully at that and picking those out ahead of time. It wasn't like it was a surprise when it came up that that was going to be a problem. So um, as the sports club, we have raised it with the club twice. In fact, I emailed them not long after the TV fixtures were announced and said, what's going on and then I emailed them again last week and said I haven't had a response to xyz questions and that was one of them I really would like to see the club making a great commitment to to watching those and when when the women's game isn't on television I can't see any reason why they can't move it a little bit it does really affect the fans um I mean the good news is as as I say we have been in conversation with the club I did meet the new general manager at the last home game and uh, had a bit of a chat with him and he seems to be talking in the right direction, but it is just about them prioritising the right things at the right time. And I think they they just haven't got round to this one yet, which is a real shame because it will affect attendance at the women's game. And we know that some of it comes down to scheduling too, because there are two clubs in the WSL, if I'm not mistaken, uh, I think it's Reading and Leicester that play all of their matches in the same stadium men's and women's teams so clearly for those clubs they've managed to work it out where there isn't a clash so I I would like to see them be more conscious of that for the teams who may not play in the same stadium but you know still having 
a little bit better balance so that fans can attend both matches if they are season ticket members for both. It's a difficult thing because you've got to factor in all the, the different stages when Late and Orient are playing and all those things. But in this case, it is the case of pushing the women's game forward by an hour, maybe putting on a coach for those who want to go to make it even easier. But just simply moving it by an hour would probably have been enough. And we know that other teams do that. So last season, me and Sean ended up going to a very, very late game at Everton because they had moved it so it didn't clash with the men's team. Now we are in a stadium that is quite close to the men's team. It's never going to involve moving anything by many hours if they're on the same day and they're both at home. So it should be really feasible. And Leighton aren't going to be playing if we're already playing on that day. So if you're talking about moving an hour or two one way or another and there is no television rights attached. It just is 100% up to the club. Um, the, the Everton game, I believe they moved their game because their staffing is the same at the men's and the women's games, and therefore they didn't have staffing. That's why they can't clash the game. So they've got a kind of a different reason that they can give that kind of gives them more scope for just use, for not clashing. But yes, if one of the folks that I sit with at games wasn't able to get to the Everton game last season because they moved it at the last minute and couldn't get the time of work um, because it was a late on a Sunday night in the end rather than being on the Sunday afternoon. Just one of those things that the club really need to focus on and, and really need to prioritise those kind of fixtures, clashes, or at least come out, come give us answers as to why it couldn't have been done. Right. And like you'd think with all the talk about, oh, we're going to have a bigger stadium with more fans, like we want to involve more fans and like get more fans from the men's side and everything you'd think that they could also take this small step to make it easier rather than just like as it seems to have been done like just saying we're going to move to a bigger stadium like season tickets oh we didn't really think about that etc etc um but I I have to hope that these are all sort of like growing pain things and that maybe by later this season next season at the very latest some of these will have been worked out as I say there is a new general manager so some things are going to take a little bit of time to transition and sort out but um prioritization this is something that's important for the fans yeah absolutely well let's finish off this Everton preview section with a score prediction so um what do you all think what's going to happen I'm actually going to stick with the same prediction I had last week of 2-0 I think we're going to keep a clean sheet again I don't think it's going to be as high scoring uh, because Everton are in a lot better form than Brighton are. Uh, but I do think we're going to get the win. I mean, last week I thought I was being optimistic with 3-0. Um, so I'm going to go a little bit. I'm going to say 3-1. I think goals are going to keep coming, but maybe not a clean sheet. Yeah, see, I, I struggle to see goals coming. Uh, so I'm buying between 1-0 and 2-1. I think it's going to be those kind of, Brighton were a, a very different um, prospect, particularly, I think, after the second goal went in. And um, uh, I'm going to go with 1-0. I think I'm also going to go with 2-0, like Caroline. I think um, this Brighton game really was sort of like this perfect opportunity to rest tired players and get minutes and legs and build up confidence. I highly doubt we're going to see the same sort of high-scoring game that we saw against Brighton for obvious reasons but I think I think that everything is maybe fingers crossed coming together well that's all for today folks we hope you enjoyed this recap as much as we did you can find the podcast on twitter at n17women as well as each of us individually 
Rachel is Spurs Women Blog. Sean is at Sean Wallace. Caroline is at CG Stefco. And I'm at Abby Rose Meow. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on your listening platform of choice. We'd love it if you also left us a review. And do share the pod with a Spurs-loving friend. That means you, Emily. Thank <laughs> you.